All right, welcome to episode three of the Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. Today I have two good friends with me. I have Jack Young, who is soon to be a senior at Baylor University, and Tyler Phillips, who is a recent graduate of Truett Seminary. And today we're going to be talking about accidental discipleship and what that has to do with cities and the roads and the way that they they shape us. Uh, So, uh, Jack and Tyler, when I think about you two guys, in addition to you both being Midwesterners, the other uh, thing that I think about you having in common is your connection to NFL players. So, Jack, uh, help me out here. You grew up with somebody who just got drafted in the NFL draft. Is that right? Yeah. So I grew up with Tristan Wirfs, who was, I think, the 13th overall pick back in April. In Offensive the NFL lineman? Draft. Offensive right? lineman, yeah, going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so he'll be blocking for Tom Brady. No big deal. Just, you know, just blocking for the goat from, from yeah. day one, you know, right yeah. out of college. Yeah. Uh, so, and, yeah, we grew up like we grew up together, um, ran track together. Um, but he is, uh, he threw discus and I ran two mile and we were kind of built for those different. But surely you beat him in a wrestling match early on. I right? think we were in different <laughs> weight classes, but yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. You yeah. Know, but, yeah. <laughs> but if you weren't, you, you would have taken him for sure. Yeah. And then, and then Tyler, when I think about you, Cincinnati, Ohio, hometown, uh, Bengals fan. So I'm assuming you and Joe Burrow must just be texting all all the time. Is that right? Oh man, we were incredibly close. Uh, <laughs> Joe, he he nags a little bit. I'm like, Joe, give it a rest. Like texting me just day and night. But uh, he's a he's a nice guy. You know, he's probably nervous. I'm sure you can help him calm down a little bit and step into the role. You know. Yeah, yeah. With my experience being an NFL quarterback, I'm sure I have some to Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. You know. Can't believe you didn't mention that in my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a side detail. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, today we're going to have, uh, I think, is what's a really, really important conversation, and it's sparked by a blog that Tyler wrote recently that Jack and I have read, and we were talking about, and we just thought we'd pull us all together and chat. Um, and so, Tyler, what, what uh, prompted you to write this blog in the first place? Yeah, well, like so many things that are being prompted right now, it was really just kind of the phenomenon of being stuck at home uh, with coronavirus, yep. so... Um, I, you know that right now a lot of people are out walking. It's a big thing to do. You're, you're stuck in. You don't want to be inside with a big group, and so you just kind of take out and you walk. Um, and really all this just kind of came along with some, some thoughts and observations about trying to walk in the neighborhood that I was living in. Yeah, that's right. You, um, you, you started to notice, I remember you saying that there's uh, not sidewalks in a lot of places where you want to walk and, and that really our cities aren't always built for walking. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it can be kind of a frustrating process, even in uh, neighborhoods that, that you'd think would be. The, the sidewalks will just kind of drop off at a dead end, or um, you go out walking and, and you realize you realize real quick that there's no real where to go. You know, you're just kind of walking in a circle like a fishbowl in some neighborhoods that are kind of isolated from everything else. And so, yeah. yeah, and that started to get uh, you and then us uh, thinking about roads and road trips and uh, how they shape us and what, what in the world this has to do with faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, speaking of road trips, have you guys been on any good road trips in your days? I mean, I've got a 16-hour drive from Waco back home at the end of every semester. There you go. So I guess it's a road a trip, but it's not quite as adventurous as um, I hoped it would be. I mean, eastern Oklahoma and, you know, Kansas is great, but it's not quite not quite a, a five-star vacation. My senior year of college, I went for spring break on a trip with some some friends, and we drove from eastern Tennessee to west Texas a thousand miles in one day, and uh, it took like 17, 18 hours or something like that, 
and uh, our air conditioner broke about halfway through the trip, Ooh. stuck in <laughs> Alabama somewhere, and not one of the best days I've had in my life, but we, we'd made it, you know, so there you go. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I relate to, to Jack, this idea that uh, um, driving back and forth 17 hours just kind of lends itself to some to some road trips, and so the most recent one for me was about a year ago now, we did a, a two-week round trip visiting just about everyone me and my wife knew in Kentucky, and then um, when we got back right afterwards, her sister flew in from New York, and we took her all over Texas, and by the time this was all done, it ended up being this, like, 14-day, 3,000-mile crazy kind of experience, so, wow. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Tyler, uh, tell us a little bit about the blog and what you say about, you know, kind of the American road trip and um, and what it has to do with, with freedom and start start us off there. Yeah, so, so that point of the blog was really a, a jump off from um, James K.A. Smith in a recent book that, that he wrote, and he actually came down to Waco and spoke at Truett um, on the topic, uh, but the book was called On the Road with Augustine. It's a a real great um, book. I'd recommend you reading it if you, if you have the chance. But there's a particular chapter in there um, on freedom, which he then brings in this theme of the road that kind of goes throughout the entire book. Uh, but the point he makes is that uh, we we tend to really romanticize this idea of the road trip. You know, it's it's the thrill of it. It's this, um, this image of unlimited possibilities. I can go wherever I want to on the road. There's I, I, fr- I unfurl a map in front of me, and there's all these cities and destinations, and I can choose how I get there and how I want to get there. And maybe I do it with some of my best friends. Maybe we have a, a picnic in the in the back with us, and we drive down with our our hair in the wind and rock and roll on the speakers. You know, you, you can kind of almost picture like the '70s movie that's coming up, like Absolutely. as I described this. <laughs> um, and that's kind of that's kind of how we think of freedom too, right? Is is uh, unlimited possibilities before us grab a few friends and just kind of run off and make of the world what we want to. Um, we kind of self-determine who we're going to be and, and what we're going to do. And then he flips it on his head and basically says, but is that is that really how roads work? Because if you're going to take this road trip, you're going to take it on roads that other people have paved and you're going to go places other people have built and you're going to do so, hopefully, according to the laws and regulations that people have set before you about how you should travel on those roads. And when you get to those places that you're going, you're going to do the kinds of things they were built for, which are things that you may not have designed. And so, sure, we're making choices, and we're making them freely enough, but these choices are all happening kind of within a community, within other people's choices. It's not just me starting with nothing and then saying, I'm going to create this world that I want. Um, that would make us God. But it's, it's more of us uh, living in a world alongside other choices and, and never really choosing from scratch who we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So in the blog, Tyler says this. He says, total unconditioned self-determination is, in the end, a myth. We make our own choices, but the possibilities before us to choose from are set within a grid of the choices and plans that those before us um, have laid, uh, the ones who paved the roads on which we travel. So this symbol of, like, freedom uh, is, is a bit of an illusion, uh, because we we pretend that you know the whole world is out in front of us and we can make what we want of it, but we can only make uh, out of it what the person before has paved for us. You know, we can only drive down the roads that have been have been paved. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think I think a lot about freedom. You know, that's a big value uh, in our world today. It's a giant value for our culture. Uh, you know, our country was founded on the idea of freedom. Um, you know, and yet this idea of freedom has evolved a lot over the years. Uh, taken on different definitions. I think a lot of us today think about freedom just as the ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want. 
but in reality, we're not as free as we appear to be. Uh, and so I think this is a trend that, that we see in all sorts of other places in our life, um, that we think we are acting freely, but really we're being shaped by the culture that's around us, really without, with or without our awareness. Um, so can, can you guys think of any other examples of how this plays out in our, in our world today? I think of I think of social media comes to mind. And I think social media is kind of similar to your example, Tyler, of the road, where we see it as this place of freedom and of personal expression. Um, but we don't often think of how the medium itself is not neutral in the way that we think it is. So um, like you said, a road, we see it as this... Um, avenue of freedom where we can, um, you know, the world is our oyster and we just take the road and take the open road and go um, wherever we want to go with it. Um, but like you said, it's it's structured, it's been built, it's been planned by someone else. You're, only, you're driving on someone else's road. And in some ways, I think there's something similar with the way social media platforms operate. I think we assume that it's um, social media, um, you know, things like Twitter, Instagram, um, they offer us this kind of blank canvas to express ourselves. And, and to some extent, that is true. And I think that's why we're drawn to those platforms. But those platforms also, I think, kind of form us just by the way of, by just by their design. Um, you know, I think there's, one thing I noticed, um, you know, using Instagram was that um, I was inclined to view my life based on how the medium uh, the platform is structured to view my life as the sort of succession of um, aesthetic photo opportunities. And if your life is in that succession of um, aesthetic photo opportunities, you're not doing your life right, or at least you're not having as fun a life as everybody else out there. Who's but that's true, right? No, sure. I know, I know. Yeah, but like that's <laughs> like I noticed it when I was when I was studying abroad specifically was that. Um, you know, I was so worried about getting the perfect picture of myself next to, you know, these monumental, you know, buildings and, and places. And I wasn't as focused on the buildings themselves for what they are. And I wasn't actually focused on, like, enjoying those spaces. Um, and for me, that was, like, the kind of the turning point for me in social media and thinking, man, like, this says this technology has discipled me to live my life in a very slight way, but in a very, like, certain way, how I'm choosing to live my life. Um, and that got me to think about how, yeah, that we, we perceive the platform as neutral, but in some ways just the format of it shapes shapes us, regardless of what we yeah. post or how we express ourselves on that medium. So you've got a blank slate, but yet you're actually being shaped by the platform to view the world in a different way. Now you start to go about your life, and you're like, oh, what moment could I take a photo of? When you weren't thinking about that before, you had an Instagram account, and now it's started to alter the way that you're... Um, yeah, that you're interacting with people and your day and your moments. Is, is, that, what, is that what we're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was showing up at the, the Roman Colosseum for the first time and feeling really disappointed. Was Joe Burrow there, too? He wasn't there. No, <laughs> it's not. That's but, too bad. But seeing it in person was disappointing because I'd seen so many pictures of it before. Yeah. And it was like this this experience that should have been this kind of, like, transcendent moment. Here's this, like, great historical monument. just felt bland because I'd, I'd been so prepared for it by everyone's photos of it. Wow. Everyone just got really sad about their future travel plans right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You go on the road and you're looking for something great, and sometimes it lets you down. Yeah, but I think I think uh, the word that I used earlier at the top of the podcast was accidental discipleship. It's this idea that uh, that we are being shaped by the world around us, kind of with or without our awareness, um, and this freedom that we uh, pretend to have is sometimes an illusion um, that we are not uh, we're not as free as we think we are. 
that we like to think of ourselves as independent and rational people who operate, um, you know, contrary to the outside influences of the world around us. And yet, uh, whether it's through roads or whether it's through Instagram, um, that we oftentimes are being uh, shaped just by existing in the everyday world, and we're not always privy and aware of the ways that we're being um, really, we're going to use the word again, discipled, uh, shaped and formed to see and function and exist in the world in a certain way. Yeah. So are, are there other ways that you can think of that we are, are shaped throughout uh, our lives, maybe without our awareness? Yeah, I mean, there, this is happening kind of all the time, as, as you've mentioned before. Uh, another one that, that comes to mind is even just uh, what we think of as the college experience. Um, we all go to college with different kind of goals or hopes about what our, what our life can be and, and, and what we want it to be. And then those mingle, of course, with the people that we interact with and the lessons that we have and the networks that we create that kind of give us a range of possibilities that evolve out of that. Um, but the way that uh, college can influence can also be kind of influencing the things that we value. So um, perhaps that means coming to see yourself as a certain sort of professional in a certain career, and that um, changes how you see yourself and present yourself to the world or the types of things you do. Or, or perhaps um, on a more negative note, you could, you could get a catch for the love of kind of climbing the ladder. And so um, through, through those kind of conversations, you, you devote your life and your way in the world to moving on up. Um, it can also happen positively. Uh, you can find yourself in, in a great community that um, forms you and helps you to see uh, kingdom values, and, and you go out and you have this new calling that you never realized you had before, but that God's placed in your life through these people and in this place. That's kind of the positive side of this kind of formation. Um, but yeah, college is another example that forms us. So, so Tyler, what you said about... Um, yeah, what you said about um, college, but also bringing that back to what you said earlier about roads, I think of Interstate 35, which is the six-lane interstate you know, that runs straight through Waco, right by Baylor's campus. Um, and sure, in, in some ways, it, it's bringing a lot of freedom. I mean, it's, it's able to, we're able to bring um, tons of, uh, we're able to ship a bunch of goods out from you know, Mexico or from the United States to Mexico. It's one of the major thoroughfares for commerce and trade. Um, you know, people driving from Austin to Dallas have to, you know, are able to get through Waco quicker. But it also, it, it's, uh, there's trade-offs. Like, in some ways, um, living on Baylor's campus in I-35 right next to right next to it, there's an In-N-Out burger that's, like, 200 feet from campus. Like, you can see it from, from campus. You can see it from my dorm room. And I would still drive there because it's impossible to walk across Interstate 35. Um, there's a way, yeah, there's a way in which that, that, that road has, like, the, way, the fact that that road has been put in has shaped the way that I experience the city of Waco and like my, my relationship to the neighborhoods around Baylor. Yeah, and so in other words, the, the, the very same highway that gives maximum amount of freedom for thousands of people every day to, to make cross-country travel is also, you know, in a very micro way, restricting travel within your own city, uh, which might feel like a small deal, but especially for those, and there's some folks at our church that live on the other side of 35, and with all the construction right now, it's really complicated for them to get, you know, just half a mile from that side to this side. Uh, and so it restricts mobility as well. Um, the, the history of 35 is really interesting because, you know, uh, when it was built um, a couple generations ago, uh, you know, it, it tore up uh, a neighborhood, which was South Waco. 
um, and uh, you know lower income neighborhood historically and today as well um, and now it's um, it's you know it's been torn apart and divided and uh, it's it's difficult to, to get from one side to another and that's the restriction that we're sort of talking about here today yeah so really I mean this is a great example of a road that has made one kind of thing very easy, which is commerce. You can go to Central Texas Marketplace or wherever really easily, but has made something else that we might desire, like a, a good neighborhood, a, a locality, a place we can walk around in really hard. Um, at, at the same time, it gave freedom and took some away, like you said. Um, yeah, and, and I, I um, met some people recently who attend church at Greater Ebenezer Baptist Church, and I know that they've had a lot of challenges with this, specifically with the disappearance of the neighborhood. I mean, if you talk about having a, a local church, um, the story of, of that church in particular is that it, for so long, was a, a local um, walking church. People that were, where you see now, you know, um, smoothie shops or, or Freddy's and all of that used to be apartments and neighborhoods, and people would walk in that area to go to church, and now all of that's gone. Suddenly a church is in a district, a, a, <laughs> a business district. There you go, district. <laughs> I like that. A, district. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a biscuit district, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, no, I mean, seriously, their, their parking lot now, if, if you're driving along 35, you'll see it right next to, uh, I mean, they sh- basically share a parking lot with Freddy's and with Tropical Smoothie, and uh, all of these homes historically for generations were, were people that, that lived there and, and walked just down the street to, uh, to go to church in that particular place. And, uh, and now, um, with the advent of all these new roads, you have people that are driving in from further and further away to get to a church. And, and I think that that's a dynamic that's not isolated to this one particular church we're talking about, but really our entire culture as a whole. Mm, our entire, right? entire church culture. So, yeah. yeah, so living in kind of a, a drive-to-buy society, as I think that's the phrase that I put in the blog, yeah. um, also affects the way we think about church and do church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it strikes me the the difference in like this seems to me to be like a pretty important historical shift. Like you talked about how Great Ebenezer was a parish church for so long. Like it was a church in a neighborhood, and that was where people in that neighborhood um, went to church and gathered for church. Um, and in some ways, that dynamic existed in the church for for centuries, really, until the last two hundred years or so. Yeah. Tell us about parish and what what is that for those that may not know. Yeah. So the idea of a parish system, and you can see it, you can see the effects of it more in Europe because that's where, um, again, you have the medieval period, really up until the the eighteen hundreds. But there's this sense in which there's really only one denomination in town, um, and um, you attend like the every church, every congregation. Um, kind of has their geographical territory. And if you live within that territory, it's kind of expected, like, that's the church you go to. You you can't church shop because you only have really one option. Sure. Um, and it's usually what's in what's in walking distance. Um, and now, um, for us, I mean, we've been liberated by just the, the multiplicity of church options that there are in terms of different congregations and denominations. But we're also, we've also been liberated by a car that makes it much easier to, you know, to, like, as opposed to 100 years ago, no one would go to a church that's 30 miles away from them. But now, like, we can do it because we've got an interstate that takes us 30 miles in 25 minutes. And, you know, we can get to church on a Sunday and go to that particular congregation, even if it's far removed from the neighborhood that we live in. Right. So historically speaking, I mean, the car became, you know, common for people to have. What what decade are we talking about? I mean, 19... I guess, like, yeah, like, 1920s would be, like, the first car in a house. Okay. And the 1950s is when, like, car- families start to have multiple cars. Okay, great. So... Uh, think about the church, you know, which is 2,000 years old, and we're, we're saying that 
for the past 70 to 100 years, we've had the ability to, to drive in all these places. For, for most of you know, these 2,000 years, people have not had that option of like, oh, well, you know, there's uh, Seventh Baptist uh, across town, you know, and I hear they have a killer worship leader, so let me go check <laughs> that out. Uh, that instead it's like, this is where I live, and it would be unreasonable, and you know, I'm not going to walk 10 miles to Seventh Baptist, you know. Uh, this, is where, this is where I go to church. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, and I think that like... Um, I mean, we can extrapolate beyond just, just roads, but also, um, you know, I think it's interesting. The scripture talks a lot about the city of God. Like, that's a theme that crops up again and again in scripture, in the Psalms, in Hebrews, um, in Revelation, that, um, you know, our ultimate goal, our ultimate destination is the sort of city, the sort of gathering of God's people together. Um, and... I think in some ways when we as humans, we, we set out to design, design cities, um, we have similar goals in mind in terms of we want, we don't design cities to to be crappy places to live. We design cities to be like with, with values in mind and priorities in mind that we think will like, uh, enhance our, our lives. Um, you know, the way that we design our cities expresses, I guess expresses in some ways what we value. It's not, it's not mindless. It's, um, there are values and principles behind the cities that we live in and the ways that they're designed, I guess. Yeah. Oh. yeah, and so this idea of parish, I think, brings together this idea that for most of human history, people have what lived and worshipped and connected relationally and bought uh, things within the same you know, neighborhood, right? Mm. Uh, far enough that you could really walk. Um, and... Uh, and so there's a certain way that that brings together some social, a social fabric, right? Um, that you start to know those people, you start to see them more often, uh, you start to, um, everything's connected to everything. And uh, now all of a sudden, once you can drive wh- wherever you want, whenever you want, that starts to, to change, change you a little bit, I, I think. Uh, in some ways, we're being uh, accidentally discipled into a way of, of connecting to the place that we live, you know? You can... We can now geographically isolate the church that we, like the church service that we attend on Sunday, with the rest of our lives. In some ways, like that can lead us implicitly to kind of spiritually isolate what we do on Sunday morning in gathered worship with like what we're doing with the you know the rest of our week, yeah. you know Monday through Friday. Yeah. H- how do you think this affects society as a whole? This ability to sort of go wherever we want, whenever we want. Well, I think on the, on the first place, just on the, the level of formation, I mean, um, we realize that uh, <laughs> you say accidentally discipled. Um, we're, not, we're not just being uh, living in the society as a blank slate, but actually there, there are values at work here that are leading us in a certain direction. In this case, in a society that's driven by cars and shops, most of those have to do with um, creating a, a very privatized but fulfilled life um, in the direction of, you know, um, having a fulfilling career and and using that career as leverage to (laughs) to buy and accumulate the right things in the right neighborhood. Um, But it all ends up being kind of a a privatized thing that uh, happens um, through purchasing, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and and is, Tyler, do you think there's a way that we're like, are we being shaped, you know, uh, in, in, in the direction of consumption? Is that fair to say, you know? Yeah, and, and this is just kind of implicit in the way that um, some of those uh, highways and, and areas of town are set up to, to form us in that way, yeah. yeah. Consumption and, I think, convenience as yeah. well. Um, you know, we construct roads generally to get us to point A to point B as quick as possible um, for the most people. 
Um, and so you're never, yeah, you're never that far away from a Starbucks, you know, because you always need, you always need a Starbucks. Um, supposedly that's what we're being told, uh, you know, when there's, you know, a Starbucks uh, in one, in one, you know, shopping mall. And then, you know, two miles down the road, there's another one, you know, there it's, there's a sense of convenience being prioritized above, you know, traveling um, to get to a place. In the blog, Tyler talks about how uh, Central Texas Marketplace, you know, if you've been there in Waco, there's, you know, a billion different shops. You've got Best Buy and uh, Cabela's and you've got Kohl's and, you know, uh, PetSmart, that's where Rachel and I usually end up, uh, <laughs> and uh, a million other things, and how he, he knows how this is clearly, a, like, was not meant for walkers to get here, right? Uh, you're at the intersection of two highways, Highway 6 and Highway 35, um, unless you live in, like, the one apartment complex, I think, that's right behind it, um, you know, you're obviously not going to walk there, and, uh, and you know, Tyler, does that, does that say something about our culture, you know, does it, does it, what, what do we kind of, like, take away from that observation sure i think you've you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about um efficiency and and getting uh getting all the all the things that that you could want in one place that you can just get there quickly on the highway get out um and do so in a way that's kind of sequestered off from your home you know you don't want all the shops nearby so um we reserve areas of, of land for that um it also says something about the kinds of people that um our society thinks we should be, and those are people who are wealthy enough to own a car, um, people who uh, want the right kinds of things. You know, uh, we we have the right kind of idea of what our home should look like, so we go to the uh, world market and we buy uh, things that fit into that vision. You know, um, so we are being encouraged to be the kind of people that that can drive down to Central Texas Marketplace and that want to also, mm. and that becomes. Um, really obvious to you when you start to notice that there are cis who don't have access to those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, I think, too, that you talked about how this, um, you know, cities and its are their layout shape for society. I think um, what we um, what we elevate architecturally kind of speaks in some ways to how, um, to the values underneath um, a society. So I, I think of of Washington DC, for example. Um, you know, everybody complains about DC in terms of the cost of rent and how hard it is to get housing there. And there's a reason for that. Um, DC made a decision several decades ago that they were not gonna build any buildings taller than, you know, the monuments and memorials and the White House and the US Capitol building. Because for them, you know, those political buildings are, should be considered the most important buildings in DC. They shouldn't be, t um, overshadowed by a bunch of new skyscrapers or anything. There's almost a holiness to those political buildings that, like, um, we keep those the tallest buildings in D.C. Yeah, if State Farm came in and built, like, their headquarters right next to the Lincoln Memorial yeah, and, and it just towered over it, Lincoln, that would yeah. feel, like, wrong, like, on so many levels, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 You, you see that in other cities, I think, of, of Rome, for example, where they also have chosen not to build skyscrapers, and, you know, St. Peter's Basilica remains the tallest building in Rome, because it would feel really weird to have, you know, the Empire State Building across from, like, across from St. Peter's Basilica and three times the size of, of St. Peter's Basilica. But when you go to many American cities, I mean, outside of maybe D.C., um, you know, if you go to a Dallas, if you go to a Chicago, if you go to a New York, um, you know, some of the oldest buildings in those cities are the churches downtown. Um, but you can't even notice those if you look at the skyline of those cities because, um, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, we've built, 
you know, new monuments. We've built these, you know, these skyscrapers that tower over these. When you when you look at those cities um, and you look at those skylines, um, you think of commerce because that's what's going on in those buildings and those skyscrapers. Uh, that's the symbol of those cities. Uh, and I think that speaks again to maybe very subtly, maybe without us even realizing it, um, you know, we, we show what we value by what we pour, you know, the most concrete and the most money into when we're building buildings. And now it's, you know, it's those, um, it's those corporate office parks. It's not, it's not our churches, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And so in some ways we're, we're, we're learning by looking at that, the layout of a city, what that city values or what, um, you know, in some ways, even what we're being asked to, to worship or to uh, to see as, um, I don't know. To prioritize, to pri- maybe? Yeah, to prioritize. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So what I'm hearing from you guys so far is that, that roads uh, shape us in a way because they show us how we're supposed to function within a city, uh, where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to buy, what kind of people we're supposed to be, that the, the, the skyscraper or the skyline of a city uh, shapes us because it shows us what that particular place uh, values in some way. Um, a minute ago, Tyler brought up that, uh, that there's people that are sometimes left out of that picture. And, and when I think of that, I think of uh, this idea of food deserts, right? Um, that, um, that somehow uh, the location of a particular grocery store, for example, is not accidental. Like it has, it has impact on a community as well. Um, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's exactly right. It's just another um, illustration of, of, for one, what kind of uh, person or lifestyle is considered kind of the, the norm or the, the goal of that society. And that's, in most cases, uh, grocery stores are located somewhere you have to drive to it. And so kind of the, the well-adjusted person is someone with a car who can go um, to buy, drive to buy. Um, but in many other communities where uh, people might not have vehicles, um, that is typically known as a food desert because there's no access to food within that kind of a walking perimeter. And so a lot of times what happens then is you'll have um, maybe like a, a dollar store or some sort of like Mom cheap and pop, you know, yeah, thing that pops up. Or, or some, yeah. sor- some sort of kind of cheap store that might not sell quite as much food or probably or nothing healthy not as healthy know, of food yeah. but that it's kind of then geared towards this area and so functioning in a society that's geared towards commerce doesn't necessarily include everyone in it um, it has its it has its outsiders too right so in other words you're not going to walk like a mile or two you know with eight grocery bags in your hand on your way home you're just going to go to the you know get some chips and you know just down the street if it's uh yeah and so you know when i think about waco um this may predate both of you guys' time in Waco a little bit. I'm not sure, but um, you know there was a HEB down here on 12th Street. Um, were y'all here during that era? Was it not? I no. missed it, okay. but I've heard all legends. The, yes. yeah, I've had to go all the way to Valley Mills. My I know. Entire time. Yeah, it's yeah. it was so convenient. Right next to Shorty's over there, there was a grocery store that you should be able to pop in and out of. It was a lot smaller than all the other HEBs, and uh, and so. Um, you know, obviously, as someone who has a car, like I can just I can say, well, that's that was more convenient, and you know that matters on some level. But, but I think more importantly, uh, there are people that lived in that neighborhood, uh, bridging things together here on both sides of 35, because there was a walking bridge, which has now since been torn down. Mm. But people on the other side of 35 were able to walk over to to that HEB. Um, and so now the grocery store's gone, and the walking bridge is gone. Um, and then there was a second HEB further down in Valley Mills, 
um, closer to where the old Floyd Casey Stadium is, if you know that. That one was also torn down, and it's been turned into like a, ma a magnet school. And the two HEBs that were torn down were converged into this one at I-35 in Valley Mills, uh, which is much like more convenient. The hardest location. one to get to if you don't have a car. Like it's really exactly. hard to, to get close to it. You're not going to get car. there. I mean, mo unless you're in one particular neighborhood uh, right behind it. You know, without a car, it's extremely driver friendly. Uh, but uh, but you basically created two neighborhoods that now have a food desert um, that before these people could just walk down there, get their groceries, and go home easily. And now, um, unless they have a car, um, they're stuck without that sort of access before. Um, and so something that seems kind of um, like not a big deal, and this is convenient, uh, and, it, and it probably is for a lot of people, maybe forgets uh, those who are more on the margins. Yeah, Sure. Yeah. I, I think what, you, what we talked about earlier with convenience... Um, and efficiency kind of being the the virtues in the way that our city is set up and our and our cities are set up um, I think that bleeds over to how we do church now as well in some ways okay tell me about that well I think that like um, especially in the last um, three or four decades there's been kind of the rise of the like the attractional church model like the seeker sensitive model um, where it kind of stops being about who are the people who are physically in the neighborhood close to where you're building a church? It's how can you attract people from, you know, the 50-mile radius that's around, you know, the 50-mile diameter around your church that potentially people could drive to. Put on a great show and see who shows up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It becomes kind of consumer-minded. consumer, consumer minded. I think it shows up to, again, going back to architecture, the way that newer churches are designed. Is There are a few new churches that are designed, kind of like the old, you know, limestone marble design. But most, um, most church buildings now... They look in the inside and the outside and feel on the inside and the outside like much more like a movie theater or an office building. Or it, it's there's a way in which those buildings aesthetically are interchangeable with the landscape around them, which is already focused on consumerism, drive to buy, like you said, Tyler. Um, yeah, and I think that I think I think the people who've kind of pioneered who kind of pioneered that movement in, in American church life. Now, had great intentions with reaching people with the gospel, but I think in some ways we're starting to see that there's implicit messaging about like kind of a consumeristic approach to the yeah. faith that's like under like under that architecture and under that format of church. So accidental discipleship. So in other words, what I hear you saying is if um, if I'm sitting in front of a stage, you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know if the music is so loud that you know I I can't hear myself think, you know. Uh, in other words, these are things that, that resemble a concert, right? It's mm -hmm. sort of like a, a type that we have, uh, we categorize it with it, and maybe we start to function as if we're at a concert, you know, mm -hmm. um, that we're impressed with a certain performance, we're uh, not feeling a need to participate and just listen and appreciate, uh, and we're being shaped to, as worshipers, in a way um, that well, maybe we even without our awareness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd say so. And then that, in turn, as you're kind of maybe formed to expect that from church, then kind of you take that with you into other churches that may not even be attempting to do that, but you think, oh, I could see myself attending here or I couldn't, or, you know, I could see myself attending here or I couldn't. And that kind of becomes the driving uh, way that you interpret your experience at a church um, as opposed to, you know, uh, going and att att attempting to be with the people of God that week, which might be yeah. a more biblical way of thinking or talking about it. Yeah, we hear the language a lot of like church shopping, right? So this idea that, uh, uh, and obviously when you're new to some place, you have to look around and find a church that's that's right for you. But this idea of you know making a list of preferences, uh, whatever they may be, for you, and um, 
and you know going and finding the perfect fit and uh, there is somewhat of a consumer mindset right it's like the idea that um, I'm looking for a B C D and E and if there's ever a point that those I no longer get those needs then I could probably find somewhere else that's that's doing it better um, and, and go f- go find it over there and I think if it's a five minute drive from my house or a, a walking distance in my house versus if it's a 15 minute drive we don't really think of that as we don't prioritize that in our like decision making about yeah. the church. Yeah, yeah it might, it would only be like maybe a tiebreaker, right? If like yeah. all things are equal and this one's like slightly closer, you know, but yeah. but uh, we might not think about location in terms of the way that it impacts the way we connect with the people that um, that attend that church with us, or the way that uh, it impacts the neighborhood that we live in. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that even that whole question of of neighborhood. Um, you know, the, the, the idea that the gospel, that Christ calls us to love our neighbor, you know, in this strange new historical context we find ourselves in where we live in one neighborhood, we um, work in a different neighborhood, and we worship in a different neighborhood, that question of who is my neighbor, you know, it becomes, becomes kind of a difficult question, I feel like, or at least a, um, a multidimensional question. You know, is our neighbor the people who live in the proximity of the church building, even though most of us don't live in that neighborhood? Or is our neighbor, you know, the people who live down the street from us, the people we live at work? Is it all of the above? You know, like, I feel like there's a lot of different ways that you have to wrestle with that question that wasn't there, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago, where your neighbor is literally the person down the street from you. Yeah, that's tough, because so often, I mean, the biblical thrust about neighbors is you don't choose your neighbor, mm. right? Your neighbor is the person who come you come into contact with on the street, Um whether they look, talk, think like you, it's that that person is your neighbor. Um, but in the way that our, our society is constructed, I mean, we've chosen where we live. We've chosen where uh, we go to church, all of this. And so there's a, this aspect of choice gets mingled in, which kind of maybe distorts our thinking about who our neighbor is or makes it hard to tell. I don't know. But it, it's like a whole new kind of element that as choice is amplified, that becomes a, that question takes on a new dimension. Mm. Yeah, and I think people don't expect to know their neighbor anymore, you know, uh, because we can drive, um, you know, across town and, um, you know, get groceries and, uh, and, and work and worship in all these different places. Uh, it seems less important to know the person who shares the, the, a wall with us on the other side of the <laughs> apartment, you know, or who, who lives next door and we um, on the other side of the fence. And so uh, I hear more and more people that, that don't, you know, really seen that interested or really even care who who lives next door to them maybe we could describe them like if we needed to for a police report or something like that <laughs> but but uh but we don't you know know their their name or what they do for for a living or their family or what they love um and it's just seemed unimportant like we don't have to borrow a stick of butter we can drive five minutes ten minutes to heb and buy one ourselves, and that feels less awkward and more convenient in some ways even though <laughs> they're 100 yards away Mm. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the world that that we live in, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I, I hear something interesting there that uh, it's almost like we don't need to have a neighbor. Yeah, like not even not even that we um, don't have a neighbor that we go seek, but that we don't we don't need someone to be a neighbor to us, you know, because we yeah. can just get to H E B. Uh, our neighbors are much more related to our interests. You know, it's yeah. you know when we all can choose where we're going to be, and it can get across the city very quickly. You know, our friendships and the people we choose to hang out with or be in contact with are often just like we're able to choose that those are the people that we already have a, a similar set of interests with. Like the, the your neighbors become the people who share the same affinities as you, the people who are actually in church with you, you know, and who have chosen the same church as you. 
um, or like they're the people who go to the baseball game, you know, that are, you know, with you. Um, it becomes almost about like neighbors are neighbors are more just people who share the same hobbies in the same city who get together to do those hobbies more so than, you know, the people who are literally like next door to you or across the street from you. And Jack, I, th- I think you've, you said at one point to me that, you know, when we when we go to the neighborhood store that's down the street and we, you know, check out with the clerk, we don't expect to know that person or right or we, yeah. don't, we don't, you know, expect to have uh, any kind of relationship with them, you know, because they just happen to be working here and the fact that they you know, this is my neighborhood, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. compute, you know. It's some way profound, it's, I think it's some way profound that if you think about it, at least for me, like, the majority of the interactions I have with people outside of, like, my apartment uh, and the people that I'm, like, living with, the majority of those people I'm expecting that I will never see again. And right. I, I, yeah, like, that's, that's how we've created and structured, again, just the amount of distance that we're able to travel to get from stores and to get to different places. In some ways, even that's, that includes inside the church, in some cases, if it's a large church, you know, um, that we might be worshiping for, you know, several years, several Sundays um, w- with a group of people, and particular in- individuals in that church we will never know. Um, and, like, I, I know personally I've just kind of accepted it as, that, well, that's just the way things yeah. are. Um, yeah. But I've been starting to think more about, like, what, what are the causes of that, and what how is that shaping me and influencing me? Yeah, we've been discipled into viewing the world as a, a as a series of anonymous interactions, you know, mm. that are impersonal, and uh, only a few selected interactions are meant to be personal and have mm. meaning on on our relational life. Uh, there's a book I read uh, a few years ago called The New Parish. It's by uh, Sparks, Sorens, and Friesen. If you want to look it up online or something. And uh, they, they have this concept called living above place. And I think that's what we're talking about right now is the idea that uh, the place where you live really has nothing to do with your, your life, right? You can drive and go um, do things here and there. Um, and so you have no tie to your actual neighborhood except the fact that that's where your land is and that's where you come home and park at the end of the night, you know, <laughs> uh, living above place. And uh, their book, The New Parish, kind of, you know, captures imagination for how these things can be all tied together and how we can, um, how we can uh, bring the, the good from the older way. So we're speaking of which, um, you know, I think we ought to, to think about ways that we, can, um, that we can recapture some of the good of living in a certain specific place. Uh, you know, we can't change the world, way the world is designed. We can't change the way 35 was built. Uh, we can't change <laughs> the way the skylines, uh, you know, are... But we can, um, you know, think about our role um, today as Christians and as followers of Jesus in the specific places that we live. Like, what lessons do we think we can learn from all of this that we've been talking about? Any ideas? Well, I guess, you know, um, as a college ministry, we're all pretty much in our 20s, and we're in probably the most mobile parts of our lives. I know that, you know, after graduation, I'll be moving somewhere and, you know, setting down roots somewhere else. And I think, like... Uh, in some ways, we have to be cognizant, you know, when we're moving to a new place um, of, yeah, making that effort, even if it is awkward, to get to know our neighbors, our physical neighbors, the people who live next to us. And also, I think, on a practical level, um, maybe prioritizing location when it comes to, like, choosing a church body that we're going to be a part of when we move to somewhere new. Um, you know, prior- maybe... Um, maybe the church that's down the street doesn't quite have the worship style you're looking for or doesn't quite have, have as many young people as you're looking for uh, in a church. But the fact that it's in your neighborhood where it is where you live, um, perhaps, I don't know, I think take, like a takeaway from this discussion is that 
um, we value that, not to the exclusion of all other things that we looked at when we're looking for a church, but that we value it as, as one of those primary th- aspects of a church that we should be looking for. Uh, yeah, I think part of it might even just be starting to let some of this realization settle in. I mean, to realize that uh, the the groups that we're choosing to associate with, the church, the choices that we're making in terms of the churches that we belong to or the neighborhoods that we move into and spend our times in, uh, the way that um, some of these factors are influencing uh, the way that we view our encounters with others and strangers. Just recognizing that in the first place, I think, is an important step towards um, starting to make some intentional decisions in the other direction, like the kind that you're mentioning, um, of, of uh, paying attention to the, the type of person that we're not um, immediately drawn to or that we're not inclined to notice and why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and right now, you know, in, in your life, wherever you live, and uh, there's a, still an opportunity to know your neighbors, your physical, literal neighbors, you know, the people that are on the other side of the wall or on your floor or your complex, whatever it is. Um, and maybe uh, maybe the, the action step for a lot of us today would be, uh, I'm going to get to know some of them. I'm going to get to know their name. I'm going to invite them over for a meal. I'm going to bring them, them cookies. I'm going to learn about uh, what, what they love in life and what makes them tick. And uh, there could be great possibilities for for the gospel in that, but also just for relationship building and uh, and learning learning more about the place that you love. In the book of Jeremiah, um, you know, um, this is uh, written when when the, the Israel is in exile in Babylon, and uh, in chapter twenty nine, you know, um, he uh, Jeremiah tells the people to to seek the welfare of the city that they're in, to seek the good of the place that they are, um, and so it's the idea that. As followers of Jesus, wherever we live, um, that we are are called to to seek the flourishing of that place. You know, and that's a really hard thing to do if you don't know the people that you live in that place <laughs> with. You know, yeah. and so as you start to have these conversations with people, you you start to learn, you start to build trust, you start to hear about real tangible needs, um, and you get to invite those people into your real tangible needs as well. And um, all of a sudden, this fabric that's been torn apart by things like the automobile, which is good too, by the way, um, all of a sudden, st- this fabric starts to get put back together, and we um, we start to connect with with others um, in a way that we haven't been able to before. And so, uh, I think that's a powerful idea, and you guys have got me thinking a lot today. So, so thanks for the good conversation. Well, that uh, that's a wrap for episode three of the Light Bulb Factory. Uh, thanks for listening in today. We want to encourage you to. Uh, to go on and give us a review uh, wherever you're listening. Uh, We would love it also if you'd share this episode with your family and friends and whoever else uh, you think would be interested. Share it on social media, and uh, we'd love to get the word out there. So we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Try to wrap up in like five minutes, you know, or, or ten, you know. Um, because I'll just try to keep an eye on the clock too. We'll begin the altar call at that point. That's right. (laughs) I surrender. (laughs) (laughs) The organ comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.